your holy name. We thank you today in this house, God. Come into this place with splendor and majesty, God. Still every storm, calm every heart, God, and allow us this morning to receive this word from you. God, we have worshipped you in spirit and in truth. We have invited your presence into this place because, God, we know that you alone hold the keys to our victory. We go, God, that you have the answers to all of our desires. And so, God, we give ourselves totally to you today that this word would be prepared, God, for our spirit and for our nourishment, God, that we would leave here better than we entered because of you and this truth that you are going to impart to us today. Hide me, God, the speaker of this word behind your cross. Allow me to uh, not be who I am, but who you have made me and created me to to be, Lord, and and lift me up into a place where I'm uh, no longer speaking my words of enticing wisdom, but God of power and resurrection and life in Jesus' name mighty name the church agreed and said uh, amen give him a hand clap of praise let's i've seen him move have you seen him move amen 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 you can be seated in his presence if you're able to hallelujah Uh, i know this is an unconventional sunday Uh, we're here a little later than we normally are i mean usually we're still here because the guy that preaches he he's usually still preaching uh, but we're <laughs> but we're going to uh, uh, we're going to have a unusual Sunday, and we knew that from the beginning. Anytime there's there's weather, uh, it affects people in different ways. So I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad that you're able to join us today on live stream. I saw that we had several people watching this morning uh, for one reason or another not able to be here, but you're you're still here with us. So we welcome you as well. Thank you for joining us. Thank the praise team for welcome them in and ushering in the presence of the Lord. And I've got a word this morning. Uh, we're in a series called Cancel Culture. And for the past two weeks, this is week three of this series, for the past two weeks I've been dealing with issues uh, around and about the culture and, and how things are affecting us as Christians. This morning I'm going to speak to you about how we're, as Christians, supposed to affect them instead of them affecting us. Now, at the beginning of this year, I told you because we did not have a watch night service, which we normally do, I told you that God had spoken two things into my spirit about this church, and our new location and our move here. Uh, he had spoken to me that we're, we're supposed to make two things, two edicts, two mandates for this coming year, and it's to be uncommonly kind and is to be intentionally connected. And I didn't know what either one of those two things looked like, uh, and I started praying and asking God, and I began to hear with a fast, and I got off social media for a spell, and, and I was dedicating myself to, to finding out from God, what exactly do you mean when you want us to be uncommonly kind and intentionally connected? And this morning, I'm going to speak directly to the uncommonly kind mandate, because what does an uncommonly kind life look like? And I didn't have to look very far. I, I thought it was going to be tougher than what it is, but he, he led me to a very familiar passage of Scripture that I'm going to share with you this morning. And as it is, uh, has been in this series, I'm going to be doing some things that I normally don't do. You know, I usually am rambunctious, and I'm usually uh, loud and obnoxious, and I run the aisles and jump the pews. And uh, Instead, I'm going to be preaching what they call expositorily. I'm going to be going through the Scriptures and breaking down the Scriptures uh, as, we, uh, uh, as we approach them in the Word. Uh, that's just what he's been doing in this series because I've, been, uh, I've had the heart and the spirit of a teacher more than a preacher. And in this series, I've been dealing with some pretty, let's just say, delicate subjects. And I might say you haven't seen nothing yet. 
Because next week we're going to be we're going to be right up close and personal with something that is definitely affecting this culture. Because we're going to deal with the issue of racism next week. And I was going to do it this week, but I knew that with all the changes and of time and things, it just wasn't going to fit. And, and then God, of course, gave me something that I think is a good backdrop for what we're going to talk about next week. So uh, God's cool like that. Uh, so as a teacher or uh, of the Word or a preacher, uh, there are times that you teach things or you preach sermons that you know you are hearing the voice of God because what you're saying is speaking to the age or the situation to, of the people that you are specifically ministering to at that time. And that's where we've been the last two weeks. Now, if you recall, last week Paul told us in Philippians chapter 2 that we are to have the mind of Christ. And then last week I told you that that word can be interpreted, have the attitude of Christ. So what does it look like to have a Christ-like attitude? I began speaking to that subject last week. And today I'm going to take you over to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to find out what it means to be intentionally connected Later, But this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at what it means to have an uncommonly kind life in a culture that is counterproductive to kindness. The culture is not kind. It's abrasive. It's completely the antithesis of kindness. But God says we can't get caught up with what we see going on around us. We're supposed to listen and obey the Word of God. His word never changes. It doesn't matter what the culture does around us. It doesn't matter how long we endure uh, things that are, are counter to his teachings. He said, my word will endure when the whole world is on fire. You can stand on my word because my word is always going to be everlasting. From everlasting unto everlasting, my word will last. And so, so his word is the, is the focal point. It is the anchor by which you and I are supposed to live no matter what social media is saying, no matter who's in the White House, no matter what is going on on the streets in other cities, you and I are to be anchored by one thing, and it is to his word. Now, I've always been a word preacher. I've never been one uh, that's, that's been one of these that I give you a little bit of word and, and a whole lot of opinion. That, that's not my job. When I took this position, I didn't want it. God called me to do this thing, and I tried it to get out of it and to do something else. I said, God, I'll just be a tither and a greeter at the house of the Lord. I, I, I do that much better than preaching. And, and, and I've always been someone that uses word to back up everything I say. I don't pull things out of thin air and give you edicts uh, to live by and sound bites to take home with you. I listen to the Word of God, and that's what I break down and give to you. And that's what we're going to do this morning because we're going to be looking at something that Jesus taught, several things actually that Jesus taught in this passage. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just going to kind of read through the Scriptures and teach through them because here's the problem. Most Christians believe they have the mind of Christ. But they really don't know what that means. Because what happened was they went to church and they got saved. And maybe they got baptized in water. Maybe they got baptized in the Holy Ghost and they speak with other tongues. And maybe they go to church on a regular basis and they tithe their money. But they don't know what it means to have Christ-like attitude. They really don't know what it looks like to be uncommonly kind. And to have a mind of Christ. But like I said before, I'm convinced that what I'm teaching right now in this series is, and in this season is a word 
for the culture that we're living in. And we're living in this world, but we're not of this world. Somebody say amen. But I'm not seeing enough Matthew chapter 5 in Christians' lives right now. i got to be honest with you. You know the worst part about social media? You know the best part about social media? It lets you be connected with people. You know what the worst part of social media is? It lets you be connected with people. Because before social media, I went to church with Christians and I thought Christians were Christian. And then social media showed up and I got to see them on Tuesday instead of just on Sunday. And I realized a whole lot of Christians don't act Christian. I wish I had somebody in this church that was a witness. I, I, I used to run into Christians on Sunday and they had their suit and tie on and they had their nice dress on and they were saying, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. How am I? I'm glad you asked. I am favored of the Lord. And the angels of the Lord have woken me this morning and I'm six feet up and not six feet below. We had all these little things that we used to say and we'd see each other on Sunday. We'd bless them as they came in and they'd bless them when we left and everything was hunky-dory. And then, I got another peek into your life. I see your opinions on Facebook. I see how you are staunchly opposed to this thing. And you are morally objecting to this thing. And I'm reading these things going, please don't say you go to Promise of Victory Church of God. Please don't say... I watch you for weeks and weeks and weeks lambast this group and talk about these things. And the whole time I'm praying, please don't share my last Sunday sermon. Because Christians are supposed to have the mind of Christ. But what does that even look like? Uncommonly kind. Why is it uncommon? Because the world doesn't see it. They don't possess it. But we're supposed to. Oh, this is going to, some of y'all, it's already got quiet in here. Some of y'all are in for a rocky road this morning, I promise you. So we're going to talk in the, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says things like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They're going to be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be filled. And then he says, blessed be the merciful. They'll obtain mercy. But where I want to jump in is Matthew 5 and verse 9. And he says here, blessed are the peacemakers. I'm going to say that again. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers. Okay? Notice he did not say blessed are the peacekeepers. He said blessed are the peacemakers. Now what is the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker? Police officers used to be called peacekeepers. Because they kept the peace. See if I'm a peacekeeper, all it takes for me to be a peacekeeper is to make sure that things don't get out of control. If I am a peacekeeper, all I have to do is keep my mouth shut. All I have to do is mind my own business. All it takes for me to be a peacekeeper is to not respond to your hateful self. Somebody say amen. If I just ignore everything going on around me, I can keep the peace that already exists. Somebody say amen. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And in order for me to be a peacemaker, that's going to require some action. I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to get engaged. I can't stay silent. I can't let everything just be so. I have to actively engage in making peace, not trying to keep peace. See, if I keep something, all I have to do is hold on to it. But if I make something, that means I have to have a process of creativity. 
I have to look for ways to make peace. That means i got to seek things that other people aren't seeking in order to do things that other folk ain't doing. I can't just shut my mouth. Although, let's be honest, that'd be a good place for some of us to start. I can't just keep my lips uh, buckled up tight, but that might be a good start for some of us. If we would just zip it, we would be better off. Let's be, <laughs> let's be honest this morning. But that's not what he says. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Which means that's what I'm supposed to do and what you're supposed to do. If we're called to be sons of God, we're called to be actively trying to make peace. Now this goes back to last week when I was telling you that Paul told us that we are supposed to consider other folks ahead of ourselves. And we are living in a very aggressive, violent, antagonistic culture right now where everything is divided up into groups. Everybody is biting against each other. Whether it's about the virus or whether it's about one politician or another or whether this side likes Coke and that side likes Pepsi or somebody wants to go to McDonald's and everybody else wants Burger King. We are divided into segments and God didn't intend for us to live that way. That's why all these many years ago Jesus was telling us the solution to division is for somebody in the group to stand up and say let's make some peace in here We're, we can't keep the peace because listen if peace is eluding the group there's no peace to keep and some of us have decided we're just going to be peace, peace keepers whatever the temperament of the room is we'll keep it there but I found out in this generation because of everything being so antagonistic and everything being so rude and crude and unruly that you can't keep peace where it doesn't exist. That means that you and I have been called to do something that other folks haven't been called to do, which is to make something out of nothing. Sometimes I don't have no peace in a room to keep hold of. That means I have to be the one who walks into the room and says, The Lord is here, there shall be peace. So, so, so Jesus didn't say to go on to Facebook and prove your point. No, he says, be a peacemaker. See, I, I see people constantly going on, going on uh, IG and going on Twitter and going on Facebook and post after post after post after post after all these things that we don't like and we don't agree with and we're trying to make people see what we see. But when's the last time you actively tried to make peace? Have you done that lately? Have you done that in the culture that we're living in? Have you actively tried to make peace with your spouse, with your loved ones, with your family, with people who are lying on you, with folks who are scandalizing your name, with people who don't see things the way you see them, and they want to pick a fight with you, instead of engaging in the argument, have you tried to make peace? See, every fight I'm invited to is none of my business. Some of us have decided that we're going to plant a flag and be dogmatic and prove our points, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, make some peace. Have you actively tried to make peace? Look at what verse 10 and 11 says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We're allergic to persecution. Jesus has got a bunch of pansy, sissy Christians in this generation. We don't think we're supposed to suffer at all. We don't think that anything's ever supposed to be antagonistic against our beliefs. And nobody ought to hurt our feelings. But he says, if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when man revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice! <laughs> so when people are lying on you and... 
beating you up or trying to be your enemy. He says, rejoice and be very glad because great is your reward in heaven. Now let me stop right there. Can I just stop for a moment and point you to verse 12 that says that one little phrase, great is your reward in heaven. It would do us a great deal of good if we could just focus ourselves on heaven instead of Washington for a little while. It would help us as Christians, as if we want to be peacemakers, to get our eyes off of this and get our eyes. The old saints used to know how to do this. Can I tell you that? When I came up in the old church, the old saints didn't know a whole lot about what was going on in the world because they were too busy reading their Bibles and praying to their God and focusing on what he said instead of what they said. And they weren't caught up in all the mundane trappings that are going on around them. And because of that, the whole time that they were talking to you, they was talking to you about a land that was not this one, that they were pilgrims, that they were foreigners, that they were on their way somewhere. And you talk to an old saint, and they would tell you something that would make you want to go where they were heading to and that was the inspiration uh, that got me saved I didn't get saved because uh, some politician was on one side and the church supported him that's not what got me into church I got into church because I was bound for hell and somebody told me there was a better way and his name was Jesus but we are so trying to gain our inheritance here we have stopped talking about our inheritance to come We've got our eyes off the goal. And the goal is to make heaven our home, not to set up a kingdom here. This is not my eternal home, so I should not be so invested in the things of this world. My eyes are supposed to be on heaven because that's where I'm headed to. And then he said, great is your reward. So that's where my reward is. That's not where, this is not where my reward is, guys. I mean, we renovated this building, and, man, we've had problems all week. I've had a pump out, and now we got kind of showed up this morning, and children's church was flooded because <laughs> we, got, we got radiators that are uh, spewing out water and 90-year-old pipes. I've been fighting leaks all week. Thank God this is not my reward. I mean, we wanted to move to the city, and we got into the city, and we got it, and God blessed us, and we've been able to be blessed by this building, and, and we thank God for it, but thank God this is not my reward. I'm glad that when I get to heaven, I don't have to work on leaking pipes, and I don't have to dri dig French drains, and I don't have to uh, raise up some money to get a parking lot paid. Thank God for all that. This is not my home, and it's not your home. So stop being so invested in what's going on around you and get your eyes on where you're headed to. Paul said, I need to forget the stuff that is behind and reach toward the goal of the prize, which is Christ Jesus. Some of us have gotten so trapped up with this, we can't let go of this to grab hold of the better. But God's got better for us. Child of God, I know you want to see your babies grow up. I know you want to see your grandbabies get, uh, get saved. I know you want to see your children get married. But let go of what's worse so God can show you what is the best cancel culture it happened because social media allows you to go on Facebook every 15 minutes and post some new statistics uh, uh, that shows how smart you are how everybody else is wrong and we do that over and over and over and over again and the only reason we do it is because we're so invested here and that's why I'm going to keep reading he says in verse 13 you're the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its flavor or saltiness, how can it be made salty? It is from then no good for nothing. Stop right there and look with me. Who is the salt? Who's the salt? We are. Here he says salt is good for 
nothing if it loses its flavor. You're the salt. If you lose your flavor, you are good for nothing. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but I don't want to be a good for nothing for Jesus. I want him when he welcomes me into the kingdom to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to live 50, 60, 70, 80 years and have a, a, a good for nothing on my resume. Somebody better help me preach in here. I'm going to show you three things, maybe four, about salt. Because when Jesus taught them about salt, he knew what he was saying and he knew the audience he was preaching to. He says, you are the salt of the earth. I'm going to get real with you here. I'm going I'm I'm to show you that salt stops being salty. What good is it? Good for nothing. He says, you're salt. The first thing salt does is it seasons food. It seasons, it enhances flavor. Salt makes what I'm eating taste better. It gives it more flavor. I like salt. I probably like salt a little too much. My blood pressure is a smidge too high. So some of us probably like salt a little bit too much. And why do I like salt? Because it makes my food taste better. You very seldom ever hear somebody say, hey, taste this and tell me what it needs. Nobody ever says it needs more broccoli. Nobody ever says it needs more Brussels sprouts. Almost always when somebody says, hey, taste this, they either say, yeah, it's good the way it is, or it needs more salt. Because salt makes a difference. It enhances flavor. When's the last time, and I'm just going to throw this out there to you. When's the last time your conversation enhanced the flavor of Jesus? Oh, it's getting quiet in this mortuary. When's the last time what you were debating with somebody enhanced the flavor of heaven? Do you honestly think that arguing politics and arguing about the virus, do you think that's helping your case to get people saved? Christians going on Facebook and dogging other Christians because they voted a certain way, laying them out, scolding people for not agreeing with you on everything, I don't see that enhancing the flavor of Jesus at all. I don't see how that makes anybody outside of Christianity want to be a Christian. That's a turnoff, right? Jesus said if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? It is of no value. It should be walked on, trampled underfoot by men if it doesn't have any flavor. It's supposed to make things taste better. So we should not join the same arguments that everybody else is joining in on. Oh, my whole amen committee just resigned on that one point. We should make things taste better. Peace makers. Say that out loud. Peacemakers. When we walk into a room, the argument should not escalate. Arguments should come down because we are peacemakers and we bring the peace of God with us everywhere. We shouldn't join in and rip and tear and argue and fight and fuss with each other. We should not post things that are just going to antagonize folks. There's some things on Facebook that as a believer, even though it's not sinful, you shouldn't put it on there. Just because it's not making any peace. Hear me. It may not be sin in nature. It may not be heavy. It may not even be insulting. But if it's not making peace, but instead it's antagonizing a group of people, think twice about it. Because when you pit one group against another group, you're not making peace. Do you understand what I'm saying? Salt's supposed to enhance the flavor. That's a, there's a right way and a wrong way to say everything. 
Some people are so mean, they are mean as a junkyard dog. They tell me good morning and I have to look outside to check. Because they make me feel bad. Just the tone of their voice. So salt is supposed to enhance flavor. The second thing salt's supposed to do is salt is a preservative. Uh-huh. In Bible days, when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, the disciples would have known what he meant was that you're supposed to be the thing that keeps other things from going bad. In other words, instead of the culture making us look bad, we're supposed to make the culture look good. You want to know what an uncommonly kind life looks like? It's when we get what we got in here and we take it out there and we turn that world upside down like the early church did. He said, you, my friends, my disciples, my church, you are a preservative. That means you should not get caught up in the same stuff that the world's caught up in. You shouldn't point fingers and shout and tear and lie or use words that hurt people. Peacemakers. You actively seek ways to de-escalate situations, not add to the fight. But pastor, we have to stand up for what's right. I agree. And if you follow my teaching and my preaching anyway, you know there is nothing that I'm going to back down from if it's written in the Word of God. I will decree from the highest mountaintops that the Word is true. Let the Word be true and every man be a liar. I won't back down from any way. I'm not going to compromise the Word of God, not for this generation or any generation to come. There is one thing that you will find out about me if you don't know it already. Your, your opinion matters zero when it comes to you and the Word of God. The Word is the only thing that I stand on and it is my doctrine, period. However, I cannot take part of the Word and use it while I'm breaking another part of the Word. So I can't take a stand and plant a flag and be right all the while being hateful. You can stand against abortion. You can stand when, when they're trying to change the laws about what marriage is supposed to look like. You can take a stand against that. What you can't do is do it and be mean. Be hateful, be cruel, and be crass because that don't invite anybody into the kingdom. You can't compromise Scripture to preach Scripture. And that's what the church has done for years. We have got up on soapboxes and we have preached down to folks. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm never going to allow this church to be as long as I'm the pastor or any church that I do pastor is not going to be the kind of church where if some little girl who made a mistake and had an abortion comes into the sanctuary, she's going to feel like she can't make it to heaven because she has made a mistake in her past. Because that sin ain't no worse than the sin of gossip that you're going to be doing once the sanctuary is cleared out. Hey, I'm going to preach for a minute. Let me tell some folks something. Just because some little guy comes into the church house and she had an abortion before she ever got there that does not mean that you got a one way ticket to heaven and she is locked out of the kingdom that is not the gospel that I read as a matter of fact I know how you're going to talk about that little gal once you leave the church house and what you are doing is worse than what she already done cause you're in and she ain't yet You want to know what it means to be uncommonly kind? It is thinking about people like Jesus thought about people. And Jesus loved them enough to die for them and put their problems ahead of his needs. So I'm not going to get on God's bad side by trying to prove a point on Facebook. 
what you think about my level of intelligence don't mean that much to me. So I'm going to stand for right. When I see laws being passed that God's not happy with, I'll say it. But I'm not going to say it in such a way that makes people not want what I have. I have to keep a Christ-like attitude. Peacemakers. The Bible tells us we're supposed to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Oh, we don't speak anymore, but we are fast typers now. Maybe he should have, uh, maybe he should have uh, put a little amendum on the end of that. Speak or type. They wouldn't have known what it meant 2,000 years ago, but we'd sure get it today. Because some of us are the fastest typers in the East. I mean, we will put our opinion out there for the whole wide world to see. But guys and gals, don't put anything out there that's going to hurt your witness. Because holding on to your witness is much more important than showing off your intellect. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, you're supposed to be salt, but if it's not salty, it's good for nothing. I don't want to be good for nothing. Do you? I mean, honestly, I don't want to be a good for nothing Christian. Salt seasons, it preserves. The third thing salt does, it has healing properties. And this is a big one. Salt in the Bible days was medicinal. Do you realize that that's why God saved you? Do you realize that he didn't just save you to get you to heaven? He saved you and left you here. I used to pray. Boy, I shouldn't even tell this in church. There were some people that backslid so many times in church that They'd finally come up and get saved again. I'd be like, Lord, if they can't keep with it, kill them right here. <laughs> Don't look at me in that tone of voice because it wasn't just me. It was their wife praying that way too. <laughs> like if they, can't, if they can't hold on to it, Lord, why you got them, get, take them. If, if, they can't, if they can't endure this world, God, if this world's too good, save them and take them home real quick. And, and, and he didn't do that to you. Because you're still here. So he didn't just save you for heaven. He saved you and left you here because you're supposed to help bring healing to people who are hurting. A lot of people are hurting physically, and we focus on that all the time because there's so many physical healings in the Bible. We want to see the lame walk and the blind healed. And we, and we like to deal with, with people that's got physical crippledness. I've, I've noticed that in the church. Physical crippledness, physical malady, physical ailment, we love to pray for them folks. But we avoid emotional trauma like the plague. I don't want to get invested in your mess. Oh, you got a bad marriage? I'll pray for you, and we go the other way. Oh, you're, you, you hurt because your prodigal son or daughter went to jail? I'm praying for you, girl, and we leave. If it's a physical problem, somebody comes in on crutches, the whole church will gather around them and bring them up to the front. We'll anoint them with oil and we'll pray the prayer of faith. But when they have an emotional sickness, when they have a spiritual ailment, we touch them and go on because we don't want to get down and mess with that. But the Bible tells us we're supposed to be bringing healing everywhere we go. Do you see how gentle Jesus is? Do you see how intelligent he is when he teaches us? He says, make peace. Listen, I tell people all the time, they say, well, I don't want to go to the funeral, or I don't want to go, I don't want to go over there. They just lost a loved one. I don't know what to say. I say, you don't have to say anything. 
You don't have to. The ministry of presence. Just be there. That's the problem. We get ourselves in trouble when we try to talk too much. You get this verbal diarrhea aggression out of you, and you start saying things that don't need to be said. I've heard some of the most stupid stuff come out of people's mouths at funerals. Oh, the angel, the Lord just needed another angel. Shut that up. We don't become angels when we die. Quit telling people that. Number one, it's terrible doctrine. But number two, you're making it sound like God killed them. What good does that dude tell a seven-year-old that God needed their daddy? They got to grow up the rest of their life without their daddy. You tell them that God killed them, they're going to have a bad taste in their mouth for the Lord. You don't have to say anything. Just go and sit. Make them a sandwich. Get them a cup of coffee. Be there. Bring and make peace. You get yourself in trouble when you start talking. Job's comforters never got in trouble. They came and sat beside Job for seven days and didn't get in trouble. They opened their mouth and God got mad at them. Because when they started talking, that's when they got themselves, because they started sharing their opinions. Oh, you must be in this bad way because you make God mad. You've sinned against God. They were okay as long as they just sat. But when they started sharing, that's when they got in trouble. We're supposed to bring healing. And the fourth thing that salt does is it creates thirst. You can't just eat a bag of potato chips without having something to drink with it. You ever notice that? Go, go, go and start uh, just nibbing on some uh, pretzels. You're going to need something to drink real quick. They do that on purpose. They put salty food out so you will buy their drinks wherever you are. I, I, I heard somebody told me one time that if you go into bars, they do stuff like that. I heard a rumor. Somebody told me that that's what it looks like in a bar. They put pretzels out and peanuts out because it's going to make you thirsty and you're going to have to buy overpriced drinks. Don't none of y'all or none of me know anything about this because we come out of the womb speaking in tongues and holy. But you start eating salty stuff, it's going to make you thirsty for something. So when Jesus tells us to be peacemakers, not just peacekeepers, it means that I am actively, when I hear somebody saying something, when I hear an agenda, when I hear a socioeconomic situation, when I hear the society going down the tubes, I don't just keep my peace, I seek to make peace. I want to make people thirsty for a land that is not here. I want to make people thirsty. Listen, I want to tell people, you know what? I used to feel the same way you feel, but I don't feel that way anymore because I ain't caught up in all this. you know why? Because one day I'm going to close my eyes down here and I'm going to open my eyes in glory and my Savior Jesus has made a way where there didn't seem to be no way. I'm not going to talk to you about whether there should be riots in the streets or whether there should be burning this or whether somebody, this person should have been elected because I ain't caught up in that. But I will tell you about this where there was no way my God made a way when I was down to nothing my God was up to something let me tell you about this I know you are so distraught about the election you're messed up about the virus let me tell you about a land where there are no viruses let me tell you about a place where there's no more sickness and no more shame and no more dying and no more despair and no more, no more, no more let me tell you about heaven let me make some peace here by telling you that there's hope beyond what you see. Because if all you're done is trapped up in what you see in front of you, we are men most miserable. Jesus says, blessed are those who are peacemakers. They will be called the sons 
of God. Then he says, you're a light to the world. A city that will set on a hill and can't be hidden. You know what that means? That means you should stand out. That means in a negative world, you should be the opposite. You should be positive. You, in a world that is aggravated, you should be settled. Because you're making peace. In a highly tense environment where everybody's arguing, you should be a Democrat or you should be a Republican. You should be a child of God. <laughs> and that should be what matters to you. See, see when I, I'm laying a foundation because next week when I, when I get into this issue of race, you're going to need to know what, where I'm approaching it from. Because it's got absolutely nothing to do with the color of your skin or mine. It's got everything to do with the spirit that I have inside of me and you should have inside of you. Because we are supposed to be different. When they are trying their best, and make no mistake about it, they are trying their best to keep us divided. They are sending out messages intentionally trying to keep poor and rich, black and white and brown, trying to keep every one of us uh, segmented and divided because they know that we are stronger together than we ever will when we're split apart. And they are intentionally, intentionally trying to get groups who wear masks and groups that don't wear masks. They are intentionally trying to keep us segregated. But in a world that is trying to be separate, we're supposed to be different. When we're living in darkness, we're supposed to be a light. Which means you don't pick sides. You're not supposed to be saying, oh, it's them guys. or No, it's them guys. No, it's the mask wearers. Listen, child of God, we're supposed to be different. Now, now next week when I, when I deal with this issue of race, we're supposed to be different. Than the world is. That means those of us that are in the kingdom are different than those that are around the kingdom. Because we'll never get the ones into the kingdom unless we show them that we have something that they have not yet found. So when we get caught up in the same arguments they get caught up in and the same discussions they get caught up in, when we get caught up in the same mess, we look like them. But Jesus didn't say we were supposed to look like them. He said, you are a city set on a hill. Let your light shine when everything gets dark. I used to go down to coal mines. Before I became a uh, full-time in the ministry, I used to work for companies that made pumps, motors, and jacks for coal mines. And I was a machinist. But sometimes when I worked third shift, which was 11 o'clock A to 7 o'clock, uh, or 11 o'clock P to 7 o'clock A, uh, the truck drivers would either be out somewhere else and they'd need an emergency or something. I'd have to go underground. Total cave darkness happens in coal mines. It's dark like you ain't ever seen dark. You complain because it's too dark in here today. <laughs> Total cave darkness is dark like you ain't never encountered dark. And when you go down in there, you know what you'll find? If you're in a straight stretch, you can see a miner's headlamp three or four miles down the stretch. Because the darker it is, the brighter the smallest and, and lightest of lights are. 
The darker everything in the environment becomes, the more illumination even the smallest of light has. And that's what Jesus said. He said, when the, time, when the culture gets dark, you're supposed to be a light. You're not supposed to be like them. And for years and years and years, the church has acted like being different from the world meant that we're supposed to walk through Walmart and speak in tongues. And we're all supposed to dress a certain way. And that was what was going to keep us separate from the world. But not really. Being different from the world has very little to do with how you dress. And it has everything to do with you having an attitude like Christ Jesus. You notice that Jesus never picked political sides. They tried to get him to. They wanted him to. And you know his attitude was? Give Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give God what belongs to God because my kingdom's not of this world. And promise of victory, I've come to tell this generation, our kingdom is not of this world. we got to get our eyes higher than this world. You are salt. You are light. You are different. The world can't help themselves. Plain and simple. They are blind. The world is trapped in this hamster wheel of I have an opinion and I want to share and I've got to tell everybody. But that's not what you and I are supposed to do. I don't need to show you my superior intellect because I can post some stuff I read on, on Google. That's not you and me. We're supposed to have something different. And let me share with you what it is. Verse 21. Jesus said, you've heard it say that you shall not murder. Whoever murders is in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother without a cause... Hello, I'm going to say it again for those in the back. If you are mad at a brother without call, it is as bad as you killed them. You hear how he just kicked it up a notch? He said, you've heard it said that you shouldn't kill, but I'm telling you that if you are angry, uh, 2020 brought out the anger in everybody. The Bible plainly says here that if you are angry with somebody without cause, you are in danger of the judgment. Now that's pretty stiff. And then he goes on to say, before you bring an offering up to the altar and you remember somebody's got something about you that, 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 that they are sideways with you about and they don't appreciate and they're mad at you, go and make things right with them and then bring your offering. Because what he says is, be a peacemaker. Be proactive. Go out and seek to make things right. Not to make things worse. You're salt. You're supposed to make people thirsty for what you have. You're, listen, too many Christians are all over uh, Facebook, and it may not be that you're doing something hateful, but what you're putting on there isn't making people want what you have. It's petty. It's petty. It's causing division. It's hurting people's feelings. And you say, I'm entitled. This is, I see persons put this all the time, and I want to say, take promise of victory sharing off your page. Because I said, this is my page, and if you don't like what I'm about to say, keep scrolling. First of all, believer, I'm about to tell you that the Word says that you don't have no opinions. Because the Bible says that you were bought with a price. You are not your own. And whether you want to represent promise of victory correctly or not, you are an ambassador of heaven, and you better care how you represent him. There are certain things that aren't sinful, but you don't need to say them. Because it's not making the flavor of Christianity pop. In other words, Jesus cares about how we treat each other. He does not want people to be rioters and objectors and critics. He wants us to be peace 
makers. We could all use a better dose of this. He wants us to be salt. He wants us to be light. He wants us to be peacemakers. And there's just too much contention right now. The devil, the enemy of this age, the spirit of this age has got us ripping and tearing each other apart. And it should not be. So he goes on, and I don't have time. I can get out of your way. He goes on in 40 and 41 to tell us, if somebody takes you to court and sues the shirt right off your back, give him your coat too. He says, if somebody slaps one cheek, give him another cheek. And I'm going to tell you something. You, If somebody slaps you on one cheek, you have got to be a super-duper whooper-whopper Christian to bite your tongue and offer them the other cheek. I mean, you have got to be spiritual to the 10th degree to not retaliate. But I'm going to tell you that I've lived enough days and I've studied enough scripture to know that what Jesus was really saying shouldn't be taken at face value. He really, really wasn't saying if they slap your cheek. Because how often is that really going to happen? He really wasn't saying if they slap your cheek to give them the other cheek. What he was doing was making a point. That just because somebody does something to you that hurts you, you don't retaliate with the same kind of action because you are different than them. What he was saying was it should not be taken so literal that it's a slap on the cheek and a slap on the cheek. No, no, no. It's much deeper than that. It could be somebody scandalizing your name, lying about you, putting your family name down. It could be a whole lot of somebody stole from you. Somebody hurt you. Somebody hurt your kids. Somebody did something in a negative light to you. He says what you do is you don't retaliate in the same way. You keep the peace. You make peace. You do. All of this is tied together. We act like when Jesus was preaching, we take each sentence or each paragraph and it's his own lesson. No, no, no. We go all the way up to peacemakers. He's still talking about the same thing. He says, you're a peacemaker. Be salt. Be light. Be a city on a hill. And if somebody does something negative to you, you don't act like they do. Why? Because you ain't like them. So this is what he says. He says, people take advantage of you, abuse you, don't act like them. It's not about following the letter of the law. It's like having a Christ-like attitude, which means no matter what somebody says to me, and it might be a spouse, and it might be one of your children, or it might even be the pastor, you don't retaliate like they do. Now, when the Bible says, if you keep reading, it says if somebody compels you to walk the second mile, you walk the second mile. Now, I don't really have time to get into this, but in Roman cultures, a Roman soldier was carrying a heavy pack. And they could pick a citizen out of the crowd and say, You carry my pack for one mile. And by law, you were compelled to carry that pack for one mile. What Jesus said was, if somebody makes you carry a pack for a mile, do more than they expected and go the second mile. Don't get to the end of that mile and say, thank God, and unburden yourself. He said, do more than they expect. You want to live a life that's uncommonly kind? Do more than is expected of you. See, in the first mile, they see you. They see you following the law. On the second mile, they see Jesus. See, when you do something to me and you know I'm an ordained bishop in the church of God and I passed a promise of victory down uh, 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 on Wales Street, when you do something to me and I don't cuss you out, you say, well, he ain't supposed to cuss me out. He's a preacher. Oh, he's a pastor. He shouldn't cuss me out. You don't expect me to retaliate and slap the taste out of your mouth because I'm a pastor. But what you don't expect is for me to go the second mile and say, I know 
that the only reason you're acting like this toward me is because you're hurting. What can I pray for you about? See, now they are not seeing me. Now they're seeing Jesus. Now that I'm not acting the way they expected me to act. Now I'm acting like Jesus would have acted. And now their eyes is not seeing me, but they're seeing, hey, there is something to this Christianity. I might need to tap into this thing because that second mile is where your flesh gets out of the way and you start walking in the Spirit and you start making people desire what it is that you have because now they're seeing Jesus in you. Now you're not just saying, well, I ain't going to cuss you. I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm going to go on my way. That, that's what they expect. What they don't expect is, I know the only reason you're doing this is because you're in pain. What can I do to pray for you? Can I go get you something to eat? Hey, can I, can, I'd love for you to come to church with me on Sunday. Pastor will probably have a word that would help heal your heart. That's the kind of thing they don't expect. And that's where they start seeing Jesus instead of seeing you. Back in the 1990s, Nickel Mine, Pennsylvania. I'm sorry, in the early 2000s, Nickel Mine, Pennsylvania, there was an Amish community. Some of you probably remember this. There was an Amish community. And at school one day, the milkman, who wasn't Amish, came into the school with a hammer and some nails and a gun. And he hammered. He let the boys go. He kept the teacher and the girls in this one-room classroom. And he hammered the nails into the door. And he took a gun and he shot ten people. Killed five of them. And then he shot himself. And you know what happens every time there's a school shooting in this country. The press loses their ever-loving mind. And everybody else loses their mind. And all you go out and buy all the bullet. There ain't no ammo to be had. You go out and buy all the guns. You go to Cabela's and all the racks are empty because everybody's afraid that they're going to take the guns. And so all the ammo's gone and I can't even target practice because you got them all. Every time there's a school shooting, the media shows up with lights and cameras and CNN and Fox News and MSNBC. They're all there on the front lawn and they're all talking about how terrible it is that we have guns available for people to kill children. And it wasn't the way it happened in Nickel Mine, Pennsylvania. You know why? Because of the way that the Amish community handled that tragedy. Five of their babies were shot and killed. And the milkman, who was his wife's, and he had three children of his own, sole income, killed himself. We don't know why he lost his mind. We don't know why he did this terrible thing. But the Amish community got together and they prayed for that family. They took up a huge offering to rebuild the school because they didn't ever want to go back into that school again. I can understand why. They took up a huge uh, offering to rebuild the school and whatever was left over, they took and gave to that milkman's wife. They went to her house daily and had prayer for her. And they said, we have forgiven your husband because we have to. And we understand that he was your sole means of, of resource for you and your children. And we want to be a blessing to you. And do you know that the news never showed up and condemned school shootings? Because they showed salt and light and they were different than every other school shooting. Those Amish people who we call simple. We say that they live a simple life. and how. But I'm going to tell you sometimes simple is the best way. Because they know the heart of God in that situation situation and they did something that nobody expected them to do now I'm sure nobody expected them to go down and kill that woman nobody expected them to go down and burn her house down 
And they would have been very understanding if that, if that Amish community would have hated that woman. But they went the second mile. They did more than was expected. And because of that, the world didn't know how to handle it. When they wanted to show up and lambast guns, they couldn't do it because the real story was how compassionate, how uncommonly kind the Amish people had been to this woman. And it overwhelmed them. And the narrative changed. Church, I want to change the narrative. I want to change the narrative. I mean, all over Weirton, all over Brook County, Hancock County, Jefferson. I want to change the narrative. I want this year to be about being uncommonly kind because we just came through the most uncommonly aggressive and mean-spirited season. I want to be a light. I want to be salt. I want the world to want what we have. And the only way it's going to happen is for us to change the narrative and become who Jesus called us to be. And if you can receive that this morning, why don't you jump to your feet all over this room. Give God some praise in this house. Put your hands together. And clap. God, we love you. Hallelujah. In a world that is defeated and depressed and dark, God, you are calling us to be light. You're calling us to be uncommonly kind. You're calling us to change the narrative. And God, we received the mandate this morning from heaven. Calls us, God, to hide behind you. I want to be salt, God. I want to make people thirst for you I want to enhance the flavor of every room I want to bring healing everywhere I go everything that happens God happens for a reason we want to turn our eyes collectively towards you and receive your blessings but we want to share those blessings with the hurting with the lost let this church be a light, God. I, I don't know what the other churches are praying for. I don't know what it is that they're after. I don't know what they're chasing. But God, I want to chase you. And I want to chase a year of uncommon kindness. I want everybody that enters our door to feel kindness. I want people that are influenced on the outside of these walls to feel your love. Because we have learned that arguing with them is not going to bring them in. Proving they're wrong is not going to bring them in. But loving them the right way will get them into your kingdom and be a reflection of your glory. In Enable us, Holy Ghost, to change the narrative. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. In Jesus' name. And if you can receive this word and you agree, can you not only say amen, but can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. 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 I love your promise of victory. Good morning, promise of victory.